As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there. Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. It is your host, John Cutton, and I am super excited uh, to have uh, a re- world-renowned, I'm going to say at this point, um, guest today and somebody who I've admired from afar for many, many years, uh, who truly has had an unbelievable impact on my own business. And to our listeners, you know, uh, I often quote and speak about and reference uh, the amazing books and thought leadership uh, that Dan Sullivan, uh, the founder of Strategic Coach, uh, has accomplished throughout his life. And uh, I could not be more pleased that Dan uh, has agreed to be on our podcast today, uh, and I'm delighted to have him here. So with that being said, Dan, thank you for being our guest today. Can't wait to get to know you a little bit better today, and uh, I was hoping you could say a quick hello to our audience. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, uh, John, and thanks for the invitation, and um, you know, you send a very uh, informative letter to set this up, and I, I just want to congratulate you on your incredible growth rate. Uh, I'm very familiar with what assets under management mean, and uh, (laughs) I more or less have a sense of what the baseline is and how you translate that, but you're you're doing wonderfully well. And uh, uh, I had, uh, when I first started coaching, uh, just to give you a little background on me, I started coaching in 1974, so next year is 50 years. So I was a copywriter with a big uh, ad agency called BBDO, um, one of the top, uh, certainly one of the top 10 networks in the world. But I was in the Toronto office. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm from the States. I grew up a farm boy in Northern Ohio. And uh, uh, I've always been sort of late doing things. And, uh, and uh, so I, um, uh, got a job out of high school and uh, did some college, some, you know, some part-time college, and uh, then went off to an outward bound program in, um, in the UK, 1964, came back and I was going to get another job. And then sooner or later, I was going to make enough money to go to college, you know, full time. But I got drafted right when Vietnam started, so I spent two years in South Korea. Enjoyed it. I thought, you know, I had a, a lot of people have a bad army career. I had a good one. 
then I came back and then I went back to college. I had the GI bill, so it paid all my expenses and I borrowed all the money. And, um, you know, um, talking about $1967 here, but I, I borrowed all four years and paid it back about seven years after I got out. But I had a friend who lived in Toronto. That's where I'm talking to you from today. And um, um, he ran the agency that hired me and we got talking and we, it was just one of those things, you know, where you just connect with someone. And he said, well, you're graduating next June. What are you going to do? And I said, who knows what they're going to do when they graduate from college? And he said, well, he said, I think you have a gift for words and maybe uh, you'd think about becoming a copywriter. And he said, essentially, I'll give you a six month contract. It'll get you across the border, which really was all you needed in those days, quite a bit more difficult these days. And um, so I came up in 71. So I've been in Toronto for 52 years. And uh, but I always had this thing about coaching ever since I was young. I liked people asking people questions about what they were up to and, um, you know, what they learned from their experience. And uh, um, um, so uh, uh, what they did in the agency, they took all the little clients or fee for service clients and they put them in one group and they, they, all the money, all the clients they weren't making money from, they gave them to the person they weren't paying anything. So it was a good match. <laughs> <laughs> but they were usually family run businesses, you know, it was, uh, it was not corporate. It was, um, they had Kraft, they had Chrysler, they had some really big corporations. But these were small clients and and I could see right off the bat that their problem really wasn't uh, something that could be solved by advertising. It's just that they weren't very, very clear about the future that they were trying to create. And family businesses tend to get into a sort of a, a groove and they the founder sort of grows the business and then the second generation, third generation are just employees of the owner. So I just, and so they started making requests. They were gonna have a retreat on a Saturday and would I come out and just ask questions. And I'm also an artist, so I could draw diagrams and, uh, and that's where it got started. And after about three years of this, I just decided that uh, I could create a business out of this. And so I started in 74. So next, um, next August, it'll be 50 years that we've been doing the coaching work so <laughs> amazing That's yeah, an amazing story. yeah. And I, i'm well renowned because i'm the only one still alive <laughs> well you you started coaching when i was born so i'm i'm 50 years old myself yeah, yeah. dan and um i you know i love the story that you just shared of how you got started and um you know one of the things we talk quite a bit about in my own business and on the podcast is kind of that second generation, right? Where you may lose that entrepreneurial spirit. So I totally, uh, totally connect. And one of the things that you shared, um, I'd love to go even a little bit deeper on. So I've got this saying, and my listeners, I say it a lot, right? And it's this concept of simple, complex, simple, right? And I think it was, um, was it Oliver Weldon Holmes, I believe, uh, who had this saying that said, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity, on the near side of complexity, but I give my right arm for simplicity on the far side of complexity, what, what I actually now call profound simplicity. Yeah. And I can share, Dan, one of the things 
Um, I like to kind of, you know, connect the, the dots backwards a little bit, right? And I know you talk about that sometimes as well. I probably learned it from you, quite frankly. But when I think about kind of measuring backwards and I go back, I can connect the dots backwards in my own career and think about your words, by the way, what my 10 times or 10x activities were. And one of the things that you have um, the most amazing gift, and I really truly believe this, that I've witnessed is you've got this ability to take really complex things because being an entrepreneur and growing a business is hard work. It's it's very complicated until it's not, right? And then it just gets really, really simple. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when I think about your three, what I believe are most recent books, right? Who, Not How, The Gap in the Gain, and then most recently, 10 Times is Easier Than Two Times. Do you call it 10 times or 10X, by the way? What do you call it? Uh, 10X, you know, uh, 10X is e- easier than 2X. Okay, and interchangeable. Um, I wasn't sure uh, what you called it, but I, I actually usually call 10X is easier than 2X as well, which I highly recommend uh, and have to too many. Um, but when I think about the books that you've written, you you make the complex so simple. And one of the things that I wanted to go into with you today, so in my own organization, um, I believe I'm a 10X thinker, but to your point, that next generation mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily think that way in my business. And I'm trying to, we had everybody read the book and we bought a hundred of them for our employees and, uh, and you know, partners, et cetera. Um, and it's become very evident to me that it is a, it's just a different mindset and a different way of thinking. And I'd love for you to just pontificate on your thoughts because you've, you've seen it a lot more obviously uh, than, than any of us listening at. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, and we can use you as the example here is that before people run into the, you know, 10X is easier than 2X, they say 10X, you know, how could, it, could I do that? Because they're, they're imposing their present complexity on the future. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there is complexity, even if you're, you've done a good job of simplifying because the world is changing. I mean, uh, you just think about the last four years and what life has been like for the last four years, the world changed. And I think we're in a much bigger change uh, now because uh, uh, the U S as a country, which has basically made the global economy possible with the U.S. Navy. Basically, the global economy and global market only exists because of the U.S. Navy, and that is that they've guaranteed trade routes, and 90% of all world trade is on water. And and so the U.S. Navy has just made bringing something by water anywhere in the world to any world, they've made it safe, reliable, and they've made it incredibly cheap. And the U.S. just has decided that they, or probably over the last five presidents, uh, since the Soviet Union collapsed in 91, 92, um, uh, the U.S. has been paying for the global economy through the military budget, and the U.S. is an easy market to sell products into. And I think that more and more the U.S. is just saying, you know, uh, We've spent the last 75 years basically guaranteeing everybody else's prosperity. I think we'll just come back to America and make America prosperous. And that is like changing the whole game board. You know, there'll be a whole new set of rules. 
So uh, in the and that really shows up in the financial services markets first. The financial markets are the canary in the coal mine, you know, like uh, because it has to do with how cheap or how expensive things are. And uh, there's I am just writing a new book called The Great Meltdown, and melt is a acronym, and it's uh, uh, cost of money, cost of energy cost of labor and cost of transportation. Hmm. And I would say for the next 25 years, all four of those are gonna be more expensive. So people's idea how they handle their finances and how they handle their investments is gonna go through a complete change. And we've had very cheap money, very cheap energy, very cheap labor, very cheap. Uh, since you've been in business, basically, that, that period from when you got into business to today has been the cheapest global period in the history of the world, and it'll never be that way again. But things are going to be very, very good in the States. Yep, that's great. Yes. Yeah, so that's uh, basically so. But going back to your question about the 10 times is that anybody who would work with you, whether they're a customer, whether they're a partner, whether they're you know, uh, an advisor in your firm has gone through 10 times, many times in their life without, then I, the way I approach this in the workshop, when people are in strategic coach program, I simply say, well, tell me what your top line is right now. You know, so say somebody said, uh, well, I'm at a million right now. And I said, so tell me, uh, what was going on when you were at 100,000? Right. Okay. And how many years ago was that? And, you know, most people, if they're successful and they're talented and they're ambitious, you know, it was, let's say, 20 years ago, they were at 100,000. Now they're at a million. <clears throat> and I said, now, if you just arbitrarily broke that down into five growth stages, what would the five growth stages be? Okay, and it was it's never continuous it's usually their sudden events it's a sudden customer. Okay, mm -hmm. and, and then when they get a sudden customer who is bigger than they ever had well that bigger customer knows other customers like that on a normal basis. Sure. And they say yeah that's what happened I got this guy and then he introduced to me to all the these people or this family and they introduced me could have been technological, you know the. Could have been a break. Zoom has been wonderful for us, and I think it's wonderful for you. I sure. mean, think think about a ten million dollar check, John. Nineteen, uh, twenty nineteen. You could only get that in person. Exactly right. Now people have no trouble with DocuSign and uh, getting a ten million dollar check. So that technological can be one of those events that where you take a sudden jump, and then you. Uh, team members, people you get on staff, you get really great team members that free you up, the who not how uh, concept, and you, and, and you jump. And they said, well, that's right, I did do that. And so I say, so would you say, based on the last time you went 10 times, that you at least know 50% of what it'll take to go the next 10 times? And they said, oh my golly, that's, yeah, I do. So one, one of my approaches is I never ask people to look at a bigger future until they've given themselves a more confident past. Hmm. Entrepreneurs are the worst when it comes to the past because most entrepreneurs are trying to get away from their past. 
True story. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm hearing you say, uh, Dan, and again, you're you're doing a little coaching session with me here without knowing it, is um, sometimes I'll go back to write your your book, The Gap in the Game. It's kind of that measuring backwards, mm-hmm. right? Connecting the dots backward and being able to say, well, where was I? You know, you make a good point. I I I am uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, hard on myself. Most of my life is in the gap, and I see the things that I could fix, and don't always right look mm-hmm. backwards and go, "Man, look how far I've actually come." But what I'm hearing you say is maybe sometimes entrepreneurs think about that next 10x move, yeah. and in your mind, it's how do I go from a million to 10 million, and it might be the building blocks. It's a different 10x thing, right? And they kind of present themselves and it's about how you're approaching how you actually invest your time yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah, uh, you know, all growth is uh, expanding for freedoms. Uh, and, um, you know, I've been coaching entrepreneurs now for 50 years. Uh, next year, it'll be 50 years. And um, um, and people who aren't entrepreneurs don't understand the entrepreneurs. Okay, because in their mind, the only thing that drives entrepreneurs is what they can see about the entrepreneurs. And it usually comes down to money. They're just money crazy. Mm-hmm. But I find that once entrepreneurs hit a certain level of growth, they don't even talk about money anymore. The the growth are other issues. And my, my contention is that entrepreneurs uh, are become entrepreneurs in the first place, and they're motivated to grow as entrepreneurs because of freedom. And there's four freedoms, freedom of money, uh, freedom of time, freedom of time is number one. You gotta get uh, more freedom of time. Number two is freedom of money. And that's got two aspects to it. It's quantity of money, obviously that's one. And the other one is quality of money. Am Am I making money in a way that really pleases me? Because I know people who work for big checks, but they hate the way that they make the money. They hate the business they're in. They hate who they have to deal with. And that leads you to the third freedom, and that is freedom of relationship, that everybody you're working with backstage, you really like working with them, and everybody in the front stage, uh, you know, customers, clients, vendors uh, you know strategic alliances you you're using accountants which i think is a wonderful you know is a wonderful route for growing a financial um you know wealth management company because the entre- uh, the accountants really know where the money is yeah, <laughs> yes absolutely yeah and um and uh, the 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 fourth one then is uh, freedom of purpose that what you're doing in your entrepreneurial life actually serves the bigger purpose of your human life, okay? And if you improve one of those freedoms, um, uh, and the, uh, uh, then you have more um, resources for improving uh, free, uh, freedom, freedom of money, but freedom of time has to come first. Uh, and I would say even now where you are, John, that uh, probably, um, 20% of what you're doing on a, let's say a quarterly basis is actually contributing to the next 10 times growth of your company. And 80% is you're just maintaining what you have. And the, yeah. I would look at you as the growth factor in your company. It's how we free up John. If we free up John, the rest of the company will get freed up. 
Yep. You know, so it's funny. Uh, I have a partner, Dan, uh, his name is Jake Dunlap. And um, I have what I call my thinking chair, right? Which is I've got a, a great big hill in my backyard. And on the top of my great big hill, there's a Adirondack chair and it looks out at the pool and the waterfall. And Jake says his number one job is to get me two days a week to just sit in my thinking chair. And if I get some time to think, good things happen and he'll go kind of execute, right? And uh, integrate uh, on the on the backside of things. So I love what you said when you talk about the freedom of time, right? And you talk, talk about the freedom of money. I love the two <clears throat> types of money, enough of it. And then actually, I would say in my words, enjoying what you do, actually feeling good about the way in which you earn money. And then, you know, thinking about relationships, working with people that you like. Um, and then it's interesting, you talk about purpose. And this is, um, again, sel selfishly, what I love about kind of your um, just introspective of, of what goes on in entrepreneurs' lives is you are kind of describing where I am, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of our listeners, we have very successful advisors who listen, uh, and they've achieved a level of success, but still not necessarily happiness, right? And yeah. to be vulnerable, that was me. I mean, I love my wife and my kids, and I had a great relationship and, and continue to, but there was still something missing. And, and a lot of what it, what it was, um, was a sense of purpose of mm -hmm. great, mm -hmm. worked my butt off. I've achieved a level of financial success. I love the people I work with but I wanted to give back more, right? And you know, yeah. one of the things, Dan, um, I've recently launched is something we're calling the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, which our listeners know about. And it's free. It's free information to financial advisors all around the country. Um, and we went out and we kind of partnered with six industry leaders and myself in different areas that a financial advisor could need, almost like a almost like a family office for financial advisors. Some some yeah. of them. CPA partnerships or mergers and acquisitions, marketing, so on, et cetera. And it's the thing I'm most excited about right now. And it's actually, it's, well, a, it's a 10X activity for me long-term. Well, I'm going to oppose your idea of giving back. I don't believe in giving back. Okay. Uh, and the reason is you didn't take anything. You created something. Okay. And why is it they are, the, you know, the public always talks to people who actually created their wealth, why are they always talking about giving back, you know? Yep. So I don't believe in giving back. I believe in expanding your expanding your happiness and sharing your prosperity, but I don't believe in giving. I don't think you owe the world anything. Yeah, no, thank I you. you. I think you, I mean, you're lucky. You have 50% of uh, being born in the States and being a uh, wealthy manager is, uh, ending up a wealth manager is good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's good luck. It's, it's good luck. But I, 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 I don't believe I have to give anything back to the world. But there are ways that I want to share uh, my success, and there's ways I want to share my prosperity. So I just like to nip that because I think the giving back thing is an obstacle to growth. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think if it comes, my view at least would be if it comes intrinsically, right? So like I, I do it because it makes me, it's selfish. It actually makes me feel good to help people. Um, and that's something that I actually enjoy doing. I have to assume, um, you know, you, you certainly from everything I've read, seen, heard, and listened to, it seems like you genuinely like to help entrepreneurs and help people oh, yeah. do things that they wouldn't see on their own. Yeah. Well, you know, entrepreneurism, is, you know, as a 
thing that people talk about is fairly recent in the world. It, uh, it uh, only goes back about 200 years that there was actually a class of individuals called entrepreneurs. And I mean, you had merchants and you had, you know, you had people, but they didn't see them as a, selves as a separate class, really. Okay. And it didn't happen until there was steam power. So all of human history, and it's very interesting, the first uh, breakthrough in steam power that really created the Industrial Revolution happened in March of 1776. <laughs> you may know that year, it's famous for other possibilities. And uh, it, was, um, <clears throat> um, it was the first uh, steam engine that returned 25% greater energy than it consumed. Mm. And that was a, that, that's a huge exponential multiplier. And then all of a sudden you see this mad rush of nobodies who all of a sudden get an idea for using steam power and then uh, all of a sudden this different class of people who got rich in ways that other people thought weren't appropriate uh and uh so it said you know they're they, you know, they're not from the right families they don't have the right education you know who do they think they are that they can just go out and make money well what they are is really useful <laughs> and uh so that really has started and of course the declaration was in july that year but i think it was in may or june that adam smith who is considered the uh sort of the grandfather of capitalism uh, wrote the book called the wealth of nations and he defined uh you know he defined a very fundamental principle there and that was the um, principle of comparative advantage that you do what you're great at and somebody else does what they're great at and you just trade you just trade you don't do you don't compete with them and what they're great at right you just do what you're great at and then trade trade with each other and he says this is how wealth is created and but it wasn't possible really until you had steam power and you could uh, start giving some real multiplier breaks in different parts of the economy yeah and the, the the you know it started in uh holland was the first country that really operated that way and then uh great britain was the next one and then the u.s is the uh, prime u.s is really a entrepreneurial republic it was designed to engender uh entrepreneurism because all the founding fathers basically had their own businesses yeah i, I... I love how you tie it back to history. I mean, you've yeah. got deep to kind of think about and really study where it's all coming yeah. from. Well, you know, there's only been two entrepreneurial presidents of the United States, the first one and uh, um, the one who got beat in 2020. Those are the only two actual entrepreneurs that we've ever had. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Right. Very, very interesting the way you tie that together. When, when you're talking about the story that you just shared, is that kind of how you think about free zone partnerships when you're thinking about what yeah. you described a little bit? Yeah, you don't compete, you just collaborate and you're not doing the same thing. So the way I would look at it, for example, your collaboration with accounting firms, okay? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you have to start in the center with who's who's the customer here, okay? And all customers live in a 360-degree world, mm -hmm. okay? And you're a slice of the pie, but they have a lot of other slices of the pie. So they need a great accounting firm, and the accountant isn't going to do wealth management, okay? Uh, 
accountant's going to tell them whether they have any wealth to manage, but they're not going to do the wealth management. So it makes total sense that you would collaborate with accounting firms because you're not competing with each other. Okay. And you want all your customers to have great accountants. So, you know, that's a match. And then there's all sorts of other things that people need. I mean, that's where family offices come in. I mean, family offices don't do just wealth management. They do the management of the entire organization of the family, you know, and loop link them in with others. So there's another collaboration there. I think financial services is probably one of the easiest industries to have collaborations in with who you're not. They need a great architects. People need great architects. They need great landscapers. They need great interior designers. You know, they need all those and all those can be collaborative because you're you're in love with the same end user. That's what holds the collaboration together. Both of you are committed to the well-being and the growth and the happiness of the person in the center. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. I see a lot of times, you know, financial advisors, entrepreneurs in general, um, sometimes the the parties who are trying to build what you call a free zone uh, partnership um, have a hard time not keeping score, right? And they're kind of of the adage of, well, what's in it for me? And I gave you one. And what happens if it's not even... I know you've had a lot of experience in helping entrepreneurs build those type of partnerships. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of my own. I have about seven or eight of, uh, you know, of my own. Do you know John Bowen? Do you know who John Bowen is? I do. Yeah, I know John. I don't know him personally, but I know a little bit about his program. Well, he's in the free zone part of our program, and we have a collaboration. So every year we're going to come out with a um, uh, a survey. The survey, I think, goes out in about uh, two weeks. This year's survey, okay. And um, the survey is called uh, Entrepreneurial Wealth, and it's just how entrepreneurs um, look at wealth and what kind of help they get with their advisors and how they have it structured and what they have in place. And uh, so we do a survey, and we do a thousand that he's identified, and then we do a thousand strategic coach clients. Okay, and then we'll bring out a, a we'll bring out a uh, survey every year that goes uh, through all the financial networks and everything else, and that starts this year. And uh, but John owns the research company who does this, and all the money that comes from the research goes to John. But I get this great cap- capability of uh, being able to do a survey. And all I have to do is consult on the questions that I thought would be meaningful uh, for the survey. And then we will, um, we don't let anybody get in touch with our clients. So we will, uh, we will send the survey out to our client. We have about 2,500 uh, active clients in the program right now. So we'll, we'll start at the top and go down. And uh, then every year we'll have the benefit of this survey that we can use for our own purposes. And uh, the books you mentioned, the three books, um, Who Not How, The Gap and the Gain, and 10 Times is Easier Than Two Times, that's all a collaboration with uh, other writer, Ben Hardy, Mm -hmm. and with Hay House House Publishers. So I write small books. I write a new book every quarter. I got these little books. Uh, I was just recording. 
So when I was 70, John, I set a goal that by in the next 25 years, I was going to write 100 books, 100 books and 100 quarters. And we just started quarter 36, and this is book 36. Amazing. And uh, so, but the little books are interesting because some of them can become big books. So three of the big books are the Who Not How and the other two are both little books that became big books. Right. And I can't write big books because if it can't be done in 90 days, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I've, yeah, uh, yeah. Where's my Adderall? I've got to get yeah, a little attention span. I, I can relate for sure. <laughs> where's my Adderall? And anyway, uh, so this writer who was the number one writer on Medium, and he, uh, he just started in Strategic Coach, and he said, you don't write big books, do you? I said, no, um, don't have the, I just don't have the, um, persistence that would allow me and plus I don't want to deal with a publisher publishers have their own right. they're like assembly lines and you have to get here and you know um, uh, I, I just uh, that's not an activity but what happened is there was an arrangement made with the publisher that all the money from the book went to the other writer so he got all the advances he got the you know he got the um, all the royalties that come from the book. I don't make a cent from the book. And the reason is my money comes from people reading the book and signing up for a strategic coach. Sure. And uh, the first three books were right about the 600,000 mark for the first three books right now. Wow. And I would say they've been directly responsible for a hundred signups for the program where people read the book and they signed up for the program. But then there's probably another five or 600 who were influenced by the book? We were already in contact with them, but when they got the book, it was a another nudge. it was another nudge. It was another nudge. So it's wonderful marketing, and I didn't write the books, but I was interviewed for every idea that's in the book, and then our clients were made uh, available to the writer that he could interview the writers and talk about them. So that that would be a case of uh, collaboration. Mm -hmm. Okay. I couldn't do it on my own, okay, and he has to be paid, so I said, well, just, let's just take the publisher's money and give it to the other writer, so. <clears throat> yeah, no, so totally, uh, totally get it, and um, I've, I've listened to you talk and read about you talk about that a little bit, um, and I guess for our, you know, for our listeners, it's, it's one of the things, the reason I had asked the question is one of the keys to my success has actually been these free zone partnerships. Oh, yeah. The CPA piece and relationships with recruiting. And you don't keep score. Right. Exactly right. And it's just two business owners helping each other. Both sides grow their own businesses and there is no score. Yeah. Uh, but you get the influence, right, of what that other person's unique ability but is. You get their entire network. You get their entire network. Plus, you get their skill. You get their you get their skill. I mean, if I had a choice between money now or long-term capability, I'll always go for the long-term capability. Sure. If you have the capability, you can make the money. If you have the money, you don't necessarily have the capability. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate 
something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there. To our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest, shoot us a note uh, and we'll see if we can get you on. Make it a great day and thanks again. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app and we'll see you next week.